You pick up Detective Comics 1000? No, did you? I did. I haven't read it yet, but I picked that up. Okay, cool. Um, are you ready? I am. Alright. Nice. Ryan, I've cranked the volume up, or mic volume, so I hope it's not too loud. Okay, that should be about it. And... Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that can spend three days at a convention and come home not bringing con funk with it. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, and he's back at least for this episode right now, is my brother Peter. Hey, how's it going? Uh, Peter um, might not be back next week. Um, we're It's kind of like... He came back because we need to talk about the con and our adventures at C2E2, and then um, he might be gone next week and then back normal. So still playing around with that. We'll get there. We'll cross those bridges as we come. <laughs> um, so if you're listening to us for the first time, this show is going to be just a little bit different because uh, we went to C2E2 this weekend. We had a lot of fun. We talked to some people, went to some panels, saw some cool stuff. So we figure instead of our watching category, instead of our news category... We're going to skip those completely, talk about the con. We got some cool audio we want to play for you guys. And then um, uh, instead of our normal top five, because Peter and I need to do our favorite movies from 2018, um, instead of doing that, we're going to do our five favorite things from the con that we saw or got to yeah. do or whatever, and then we'll go from there. Mm-hmm. So um, We'll be bringing you our 2018 favorite movies before 2020, we promise. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, we promise. Our 2018 movies. Now, my list for my, my top five 2018 movies are um, locked in. Yeah. Like, I'm done with mine, so I'm ready to go as soon as you're able to, you know, put your list together and we're good to go on that one. So okay. I'm ready. Um, so with that being said, uh, how was the con for you? Um, it was awesome. Uh, it was kind of one of those things where uh, I didn't realize, like, I think it affected me in a way that it kind of really re-energized me. It really uh, got me thinking more creatively and just kind of, like, uh, thinking a lot more about the things I'm passionate about. Um, I think, like, I haven't been to a con for, I think, a full year, and it just really, like, I don't know. If you've never been to a convention, it has that sort of energy that can, like, really inspire you and uh, energize you, yeah. I guess, creatively. So Here's here's what's interesting about um, going to C2E2 this year and comparative to any other convention I've been to, whether it be Wizard World or whether it be, you know, a C2E2 a previous year or another con – what I think is interesting is like when I started going to conventions, it was all about wanting to be around these things. I wanted to be in the environment with the comics, with the creators. I just wanted to be there, be part of the party, <laughs> I guess you could say. And then, so you start going and then you start buying things, whether that be get you buy a t-shirt every time or you buy a comic book every time or you actually go looking for comic books or you go looking for an action figure or something because you're collecting these things, right? I mean, this is a collector's dream and anyone who's into this stuff... It could really hurt your wallet. It's an expensive weekend. <laughs> yeah. But um, for me, I noticed uh, I went from wanting to be part of the party to buying comic books and you know collectibles and stuff while I was there to wanting to meet creators. Like previous years, what I would do is I would look at the guest list and I'd go, oh, this guy's here. Cool. And I'd grab books out of my collection and bring them to get signed or autographed or whatever. And then now... I almost feel like, and then and then you start going to see panels, and you're like, oh, I can go hear about this cool stuff that I'm into, and now I'm like going and I'm collecting audio, 
Yeah. And it's more about talking to these people as opposed to getting something signed or anything like that. And I and it's almost like I'd rather get that. It's just this weird like evolutionary shift in terms of my fandom as far as conventions. Yeah. It's uh it was definitely really cool to go there as uh podcasters and kind of have more of a networking or promotional or just uh creative agenda to what you're doing as opposed to just going as a fan and i definitely think i like thrived on that energy a lot so yeah it, that was really it, awesome. it made I, I feel it really made a big difference walking around the con and like it, I, it's not like we got special privileges it just almost mm-hmm. felt like we were there for a certain level of importance because <laughs> our listeners yeah. we care for and we were and as much as we were having fun we were wanted to bring this stuff home to them um I really enjoyed the podcast meetup that we went to. There was a, they had a podcasters meetup at the convention for the, everyone who was like basically covering the convention, and uh, it was really kind of cool to go and meet some of those guys, meet some of the local podcasts, some of the people who traveled in. Um, I, so any of you guys who are listening to the show, because we all exchanged information so we could check each other's shows out, I've checked a couple of them out. They're not bad. Um, there's a lot of people I've met, so I look at it going. Um, I want to give you all a shout out so far what I've listened to I've liked and uh, I'm kind of going from there so hopefully yeah. you guys get a chance to listen to our show as well yeah I mean we all exchanged uh, at the podcast meetup we all exchanged business cards but a couple of the podcasts actually gave us uh, free buttons and I thought yeah. that was like such like a baller move <laughs> like <laughs> I love getting buttons so I'm definitely gonna wear those proudly, I almost so. feel like we should just make buttons <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like we should just steal it and make buttons um, well anyway so this was a three-day convention, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, let's start off with Friday. Um, let's – you and I kind of walked the floor a lot Friday and kind of yeah. got the lay of the land. Friday is – the first day of the con always seems to be very chill. Yes, yeah. It's it's not as busy. Everything feels laid back and you can kind of like – like you could technically – if you've never been to a comic book convention, you can walk the entire show floor in one day and basically see everything if you cover the whole floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what's nice about that, though, is you have an idea of what you want to buy and you start eyeing things You're like, hmm, I'm going to get that shirt later. Or, oh, they yeah. have a sale in comic books. I'm going to go stop there. <laughs> well, it is a uh, you can walk this, the floor and see everything, but then it depends on how deep you want to go into it. Like if you're there to collect single issues of comics... You could spend the whole weekend just going through individual like long boxes at different booths, looking through all the comics, and you would never look through everything. Either. I ran so in, just... I ran into a friend of mine there who said that I was walking. Uh, I ran in, so I ran into a friend of mine there. We start walking the floor together, and she and I said, "Where are we headed?" And she said, "Oh, I want to go look at this booth that's selling watercolors." And I'm like, "What?" Mm-hmm. And she's like, "Yeah, they're doing these really cool watercolor prints." And I was like, "I completely missed that booth." Like, <laughs> yeah, um, they had some really cool stuff. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's definitely plenty of things you could miss. Um, anyway, we did walk over into Artist Alley, um, and one of the things about Artist Alley is it's a lot of independent creators selling their work, but it's also a lot of professionals. Um, and I had some names on my list of people I wanted to meet. So um, one of the things we did on Friday is we got to uh, Kyle Higgins. Yep. Who, uh he he wrote a lot of the Nightwing stuff from the New, the 52, New 52 era. Yeah. He wrote a lot of Batman Beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, he collaborated on a lot of stuff with Scott Snyder. He wrote Gates of the Gates of Gotham story. Yeah. Um, he he did a lot of the uh, newer Power Rangers comics too. I know yeah, you're not yeah. a Power Rangers no, 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 fan. No, no, no. I was just off the top of my head. That's what I thought for of. that. Yeah. Um, so uh, primarily, we didn't ask him a lot of Power Rangers stuff, but we did get <laughs> to talk to him for a few minutes. Kyle was. Uh, he was gracious to give us a few minutes of his time to chat. Um, he did correct me on something. Um, 
I asked him about the Gates of Gotham storyline, and he... See, I thought I thought Kyle Higgins and Scott Snyder co-wrote Gates of Gotham, but it was really mostly Kyle. Um, he corrected me on that. Uh, we do have an audio clip. So um, here's the Kyle Higgins interview. Hello, everyone. We're here with uh, Kyle Higgins, um, comic book writer Kyle Higgins. Um, I know his best work from Batman Beyond and uh, the Gates of Gotham that he co-wrote with uh, Scott Snyder. Um, Kyle, how you doing today? I'm great. Um, is there anything you're looking forward to at the con here? Is there anything you really are excited to see? Well, I'm from Chicago, so this is like my hometown show, and, and I've, I think I've been here every single year of C2E2. Maybe, maybe I've only I might have missed one, but um, yeah, this is like a, a really interesting show for me because I can really kind of mile marker my career based on this show. Like, I got my first, I met Mike Martz for the first time here, who ultimately gave me my first work at DC uh, and really kind of launched my career proper. Um, I met Josh Williamson here, who he and I were both coming up at the same time, and you know now we're we're good friends, and he's obviously doing amazing stuff at DC. Like, I launched Cowl here, my big superhero labor union set in Chicago book. Like, so I don't know. I, there's nothing in particular that I can point to and say like I'm really like excited about because that's kind of how the show goes for me. It's like something ends up happening here each year that I can really kind of like point to is like, oh, that, that ended up being like a really cool thing career-wise. Uh, right on, that makes complete sense since you're from here. Um, I first heard of you because uh, you were on Kevin Smith's podcast and you guys were talking about Batman Beyond, you were talking about Gates of Gotham. Um, when you co And that's where I first, like, I got to go check out Kyle Higgins' stuff. When you co-wrote uh, Gates of Gotham with Scott Snyder, he spoke in an interview a while back about working with kind of trying to redo kind of make his version of the Batman animated series just kind of darker or whatever because he loves that series did you guys get a chance to talk about that was that something that he brought up when you guys were collaborating well yeah I mean we both love that material like a lot right um, but Scott didn't write Gates of Gotham actually oh okay I didn't all right yeah so he and I we have story you know co-story credit but I actually I actually wrote the whole thing and then um, Ryan Parrott, one of my best friends who now writes Power Rangers, uh, he came on for issues three through five because I was really under the gun with New 52 deadlines when they gave me the Nightwing series. So they were like, Martz was like, you got to bring someone on to help you script these last three issues. So Ryan came in and that ultimately started his comics career, which is really cool to see now, right? Um, but Scott, yeah, Scott was, um, Scott was like a, a super valuable resource from a story standpoint, and he was really like a safety net for me if, if I needed it, like as I, because this was my first like big work at DC. Um, and so he's done that with other writers as well, you know, and um, I just, I'm, you know, very grateful for his guidance on the book and, and his support. And his support continued through the New 52 while I was doing Nightwing. And really our relationship was, I think in large part, why I ended up on Nightwing even though he's a my all-time favorite character, like they don't give you your all-time favorite character usually to write for that reason. But Scott and I had a really good dynamic and, and because I was doing Dick Grayson and Gates and Dick Grayson was gonna be a bigger part of Scott's Court of Owls story, it made sense for, for me to, to, to tackle him in the New 52 as well. That's awesome. Um, Kyle, I really appreciate your time. Uh, you got fans waiting for you, and I want to take up too much time, so I really appreciate it. Oh, go really ahead. Really quick, uh, favorite Power Ranger and favorite Power Ranger villain? 
Uh, well, I'm just gonna I'm gonna totally <laughs> cop out and say Lord Draken because I created him. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. So. Yeah. Okay, and there it is. There was the Kyle Higgins interview. Um, so I just thought that was a really cool bit that we got to talk to him. Um, but that, I mean, as far as Friday goes, it was really just walking the lay of the land and yeah, got yeah. a chat with Kyle Higgins. And <laughs> we kind of scoped out some other people we wanted to talk to, um, like uh, Ed McGinnis, which yeah. that was actually really funny. <laughs> well, Ed McGinnis is like one of my favorite artists. And like, I have a million questions for the guy. Like, I got really into his artwork in, uh, when I was in high school and he was currently working on uh, Superman with uh, Jeff Loeb. And uh, was I had that so the, was that the Worlds at War. Story yeah, he, arc? he he did uh, a lot of the our well, Worlds at I know War he did, story. I know he did our Worlds at War, but is yep. that the arc you're talking about that got there's you into this? That one. He also did um, the Emperor Joker arc, and yeah. there's a couple other ones that he did back then. And then he followed that up with like the Batman Superman Public Enemies arc. Um, but yeah, I've got like a million questions for the guy. Like I have a. Uh, he he did Deadpool before that, and I wanted to ask him some Deadpool questions, actually. But, uh, yeah, what were you going to say about uh, Ed McGinnis? Oh, what I was going to say is really funny is we went to Ed McGinnis' booth, and he wasn't there, but he had, like, his, I guess his handler yeah. like, sitting at his booth. And we talked to his handler, and we're just like, would he be interested in doing a podcast or just doing a quick interview? And his handler's like, I'd love to get him to do it, but he might not. Yeah. And I'm like, well, if we get to talk to him, at the very <laughs> least, if he doesn't want to be recorded... Uh, so sadly, we don't have an Ed McGinnis interview because he didn't want to be recorded, but he did take some time to talk to us. It was a nice thing. But what was funny... I, I, th I think his quote was something like, I'm afraid I sound like a big dumb idiot, and then everybody will know that I'm a big dumb idiot, <laughs> right. which I thought was really funny, but right. keep going. Uh, what I thought was funny about Ed McGinnis is as soon as we left Ed McGinnis's booth, he walked past us in the crowd. Oh, yeah. And then... <laughs> that was really funny because we are like... He wasn't at the booth, and then we're walking around, and then we both kind of saw him at the same time, and we looked at each other, we're like, that, that was Ed McGinnis that just walked <laughs> right. by the crowd. And then, and then we kept walking past him. Mm -hmm. Like, anytime we turned a corner, here comes Ed McGinnis down yeah. another path, and sometimes he had food in his hand. It was kind of funny. I appreciated that. I saw him a couple of times at the con, and I feel like at least one or two of those times he was actually looking at, like, merchandise at booths and stuff. So I like that he does seem like he's still a fanboy at he heart. He did seem you know? to be because I wonder if some of these comic book creators or television people, you know, because there's some big names that go to these cons and you think oh, to yeah. yourself, do you get to be a fan and go wander the floor or not, mm -hmm. you know, so. Just look at uh, Jason Mew's Instagram anytime he's at a con and he's just geeking out, like, hardcore whenever he's yeah. there, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that takes us through Friday. Um, we're going to jump to Saturday morning. Um, this, in my opinion, is probably the big one. Because uh, Friday, while we were there before we left the con, um, one of a, a comic book creator that I've always wanted to meet um, is uh, uh, legend Neil Adams. Um, I would say he's a legend in the field. A lot of people say he's a legend in the field. Um, he comes from, like, I guess the Stan Lee era. You know, I don't know if he goes. Yeah, maybe, I don't know if yeah. he goes that far back, but he was definitely part of the. Uh, I, I I would consider him one of the founding fathers of the comic books we have today. Um, he he's one of the reasons why uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster got the credit they deserved on Superman. He's one of the reasons why Bill Finger got the credit he deserved on Batman. He was part of the fight to make sure these creators get the rec the credit that they they deserve and all the recognition that comes with it. Um, so he has not only what he does for the fans and providing great content, great art, great stories, and all that stuff. He is a—it's what he does to the for the industry. 
that is such an important thing. And he's a huge name. Um, he's someone I've always wanted to meet. And Friday before we left the con, we talked to his, uh, the people working at his booth and asked if he'd be willing to give us an interview. I was looking for five minutes. But uh, she said, why don't you come back in the morning right away and we'll give you 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. So it was a fantastic interview. Um, I really enjoyed it. He like he spent a lot of time not talking comics and correcting me on how to properly say uh, Raz Al Ghul. <laughs> yeah, well, that's um, I think that's how. But um, it was still a great. It was great. It was a great story <laughs> to hear because you got to hear some creation on the character. Yeah, and that's. I feel like originally both of us used to say Raz Al Ghul, and then during the interview you said Raish. I said and Raish, and I'm going to tell you why I said Raish. Because and this is the part where I felt like I almost couldn't get my question in because he kept wanting to talk. <laughs> Um, if you watch the Batman animated series, where a lot of us, like, if you read comic books, you got introduced to Ra's al Ghul, but the spelling of the name always made you wonder. But when you watch Batman animated series, that was the first time we got to hear it verbally. Yeah. Or at least that's the first time I got to hear it verbally. And they say it both ways in the show. Mm -hmm. And I've always wondered. And I've heard, like, Dennis O'Neill, who did a lot of the writing on that character, say it's Raish. And I've heard people say, no, it's Raj. And then if you watch Batman Begins, they say it both ways in Batman Begins. <laughs> yeah. So I've always wondered. So I said Raish because Dennis O'Neill, who wrote it, that's how I've heard him say it. Yeah. So I, I, I appreciated the that discussion, though, because it did give me some validation for how I've always said it. So right. that's and, all. <laughs> and I, you know what? Until I heard Dennis O'Neill say Raish, I have always said Raj. And from now on, I've been corrected, and I'm going to say Raj. Anyway, I don't want to bury it anymore, um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn this over to Neil Adams, and I'm going to let him talk to you guys. So here's the Neil Adams clip uh, for the night. So here you go. Um, we're here with uh, comic book writer and artist Neil Adams. Uh, Neil, to me, you are a... And, and publisher. Um, to me, to me, you're a legend in this industry. That's what they all say. I wonder right. what that means. <laughs> really, what does that mean? Does that mean you're dead? I'm just saying. No, I just, I've been a fan of you all the way back since... Uh, so have uh, I. So have I. Right? We are thinking alike. <laughs> We're like two peas in a pod. Um, but do you have a question? I, I do. Um, I go back to uh, uh, Ray al Ghul. Uh, his name is Raz al Ghul. Ghul. You know R-A apostrophe S. Now, only spells Raz in the English language. Raish is sort of like going into a bakery... And you want a crescent roll, and it's shaped like a quarter moon. All right. Crescent roll. Sure. And some guy comes up the, up to you, next to you, and says, I, I will have a, a croissant myself. And you go, in France, it's a croissant. In America, <laughs> it's a crescent roll, you jerk. <laughs> I'm just saying, people are affected if you... If you read R-A apostrophe S, unless you're Arabic and you can write it in a different way, it's Raz. There's no other way to pronounce R-A apostrophe S in the English language. Maybe in Hebrew. All right. Well. So if you're Hebrew, I give you permission to say Raish. Um, R-A-S-C-H. But in English, well, I'm not, it's so Raz. Right so there you go. Uh, the re I guess the reason I pronounce it is because I thought Stop I Stop making excuses for no, the no, no, television no, show. I get um, it. I know, you guys. I thought I heard Other affected people. I thought I heard Dennis O'Neill. My friend, the way. affected Dennis O'Neill. Yeah. I thought I heard well, him. Well, I have I have Julie Schwartz. Okay. I bid Julie Schwartz. All right. I think I have high card. 
Um, well, what I was curious about with that... I think that, you know, that there's nothing, you know, people, even like Danny, can be, you know, mildly affected by, you know, making an impression on somebody, uh, pronouncing something differently than it is. Sure. You look like Green, uh, green Arrow. It's oh, cute. Thanks, Very, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate it. Obviously, it's not... So, but there's, but there's rules. We have rules. I am I'm, I'm in, fa in favor of rules. You know, there are certain words that shouldn't be in the in the English language. Like, you shouldn't say "axe" when you mean "ask." Sure. You, you shouldn't <laughs> say. You can say "croissant," "bon," in France, but you really want to say a "crescent roll" in America yeah. because that's what we call it. Yeah, yeah. Because it looks like a crescent moon, doesn't it? Right. It does. So, yeah. and, it does. So, um, and as far as Roz is concerned, I don't really care how people pronounce it, but the rule is, boy, this is a boring conversation. No, it's totally fine. The rule is R A apostrophe S is pronounced Roz. It's just how it's pronounced. There's no other. There's no weird pronunciation of uh, weird I will, letters. I in will there. be pronouncing it that way. All well, the time. you can whatever you like. Right? Um, I I think it's funny. I listen to Rachel. I, the cartoons, they go, it's Rachel Gould. Yeah, I... They, Who's that? Right. Um, the reason I bring that up is because with you and Dennis O'Neill, that was kind of a... It seemed like that was a very collaborative project. Yes. Um, did but you... it was not Denny that came up with the name. It was Julie Schwartz. Right. That's why I bid Julie Schwartz and I won the game. Yeah, right. By the way. I knew that. Um, but what I was curious about was, was it collaborative in terms of you guys crafting the story together? Or was no, no, it no, more no, no, of, no, 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 no. It was really, it was really Julie and... and, uh, and um, and Denny. On okay. the other hand, my my uh, position in the crafting process was I had volunteered to do Batman. I had tried to do Batman for Julie Schwartz, and he was a big pain in the ass. He wouldn't wouldn't talk to me, and so I had to do Brave and Bold, and I, so I did Brave and Bold. Sure. And uh, in Brave and Bold, I did Batman. And then, of course, everybody wrote in and said, how come the only Batman at DC Comics is in Brave and Bold and not in Detective or Batman Comics? So Julie came. You yes. Oh, I didn't sign it because I'm stupid. All right. I didn't sign a drawing I did. There you go. Okay. Uh, so anyway, that's how I got the, quote, gig. Okay. Julie came and tracked me down and said, you're working for me. So... We sort of agreed to do a little bit more realistic Batman because it was being done at that time by Carmen Infantino. Mm -hmm. And that Batman, the second guy there. Uh, yeah. And I don't see the Neil Adams there. It's funny. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, so Carmine sort of did the TV show Batman. You know, a guy walking around his long johns in the middle of the daytime, yeah. sun shining, no kid going, Mommy, that guy's wearing his underpants on the outside. Yeah, yeah. Weird. And um, so that was the, the, you know, it was a comedy. It was based on a satire. Now we're going to make it more real. So all I did really in Brave and Bold was with the editor, he said, is there anything you want to do? Because he knew that I was gaining a certain amount of a, uh, prestige and power. Right. And he wanted to work with me. So he said, do you want to change the script? I said, no, I don't want to change the script. I just want everything to happen at night. Oh, yeah, yeah. No daytime. Right? Duh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And I would rather Batman didn't walk through doors, but like windows or, you know, out of the darkness or, you know, walking through a door. Nah. So he said, fine. So um, so when I started to work for Julie, I, you know, I kind of said, you know, let's, let's do that. 
and he and he got Denny O'Neill to work with me. But Denny was a realistic writer in that he was a reporter. He worked the night beat at some uh, in Connecticut somewhere, so his stuff tended to be more realistic. So if you got somebody who draws realistically and then somebody who writes realistically, you're going to get a more realistic story. So the characters in the first few stories that we did were, you know, Orson Welles type characters and you right. know, people out of real life. Now you don't know it, and you should know it because you, you haven't studied your done your homework. But Batman and the characters in Batman are based on Dick Tracy. Yeah. Okay. Sponge face, prune face, all these weird characters. Makes sense. The yeah, clowns, the sense. clowns in Batman, the Mad Hatter, you yeah, know, yeah. Joker, all the rest of that. So now we were doing a realistic Batman. What do we do? Can you, can, do you have a minute? Okay. So what do we do? Do we do we go back to clowns? And I said to Julie, uh, you know, we really need a Moriarty. Something to balance the clowns. We need Sherlock Holmes's, you know, best enemy, Moriarty. Yeah. And Julie, although he didn't verbally agree with me, you could tell when you looked at his eyes that he was, yeah, yeah, that's true. So he came in the following Monday and said, Raz al Ghul. I said, okay, what the hell does that mean? He says, <laughs> He says, it means the head of the dragon. I said, okay, what does he look like? He said, that's up to you. But the, but the contribution, if you could call it a contribution, is we needed a serious character. Somebody right. that wasn't a clown. Sure, sure. And once we did him, then the clowns were okay. This made the clowns okay because they were the other side of the, of the, of sure. of the spectrum. So that's how it works. No, that's awesome. Uh, let me ask you a quick art question, uh, since you're signing a piece right now. Sure. Um, when you uh, tackle a piece like this, whether you're drawing Superman, Batman, Deadman, uh, the other uh, characters The answer is multiferous. Right. Um, so drawing Batman uh, compared to, like, uh, Green Lantern, is there a, do you like to start in a specific spot with certain characters? Like, for example, would you draw the cape and cowl for Batman before you start structuring the body structure and however you're going to make him look, or is that... I'm just looking uh, at it like order process. Like if you were to tackle a piece, like where would you? Yeah. No. What you do is. Uh, or is there a place you like to start? You know what I mean? No. You have to understand that that a page, a page doesn't begin with a figure. Right. If you're going to do a page. Okay. Page that begins with a, a layout design, and the layout and design of the page has to serve the function of telling the story. So if. Let's say you have a repeated action. Well, you want to do repeated panels. Let's say you have an explosive action. Well, you want to have an explosive panel. If you have an explosive panel here, what do you put on the rest of the page that supports that, doesn't fight it, and or goes in a different direction? So the layout of the page, in taking it apart, separate and apart from people, okay, is much more important than anything. It is the, it's the storytelling. It's the yeah, where, yeah. which way the panels go, uh, which are most important. For example, uh, a comic book page ought to have one panel in it that's more important than all the other pa uh, panels. If a writer writes uh, one of these conversational uh, pages where there's nothing's important, really makes it very hard for the artist to you know, uh, stop doing talking heads. So he wants to paste in Xeroxes instead. Here's another head. Uh, and there's arguments, uh, uh, pro and con, uh, to uh, dealing with comic books as that kind of uh, 
repetitive conversational thing. I mean, you've heard it uh, with Brian Michael Bendis. Um, uh, you do three conversational pages, by the time you get to the third page, you're talking about Xeroxes. You don't want to do that. So you have to find a way to break that mold and make the page interesting in spite of the fact that it's just conversations between multiple people. Um, so it's like going to a movie. Let's say you're, you're at a movie and you're watching uh, a conversation. Well, uh, you would rather have the guy punch the other guy and he's on the floor and then he says something back to the guy and then he pulls out something. The other guy ducks and he says something back to him or whatever and he says, that's not going to work because you know what? You've got the wrong kind of training and blah, blah, blah. And then you go back because the conversation is minimally important to maximally important. Sometimes it right. is incredibly important or sometimes you want to hide it. So it's again the design of the, uh, the, the uh, film not in the, uh, as, as to a page, but in sequence of, of, of uh, pictures, uh, duration on the screen, whether they're close up, whether they're far, whether they're movement of the camera, whether they're still cameras. Um, so th that it's a bunch of different standards, but again, it's the same kind of standards. They have to do with the composition. And the drawings inside of those things, who gives a shit really about those? They're just a bunch of drawings. And they, and they have to take their place in the hierarchy of things, not never in first place. They can never be in first place. It has to be the layout and design because that's the storytelling. They can still play an important part, a big close-up with dramatic, some tears coming down. That can play a very important part and can supersede the first issue, but not in thinking. You think you have to think the design first. Sure. Anyway. All right. Very cool. Um, one of the books that I discovered recently of yours, uh, Batman Odyssey. Um, I had heard an interview with you about that, and uh, it was I was just got done listening to the interview, and I like went out and bought that book right away. I enjoyed it a lot. And you're gonna find, um, and you're gonna find that the mistake that was made was I actually listened to people at DC because I hadn't done comic books in a long time, and. And I called him and I said, I'm getting a lot of bad feedback from the fans on the internet. What should I do? They said, ignore it. What a stupid thing to do. What a, I mean, I've rarely been that stupid to listen to really, really bad advice. I have a science site. If anybody argues with me about science, I'm on them like an ape. And if they know more about science than I, than I do, they can, they can damn well tell me and prove that they're right. Well. If somebody picks up a, uh, issue one of a 13-issue story and says he doesn't understand the story, I say, do you understand the first chapter of a Stephen King novel? Because I don't. And I'm, I'm, I'm like at the fifth or sixth chapter before I get an inkling of what the hell's going on. The first chapter, I don't know. So what the hell are you talking about? And exactly what are you saying you don't like the writing? You don't like the dialogue? Pardon me. I've read an awful lot of comic books where half the characters, if not all the characters, speak with Spider-Man's voice. Every one of my characters speaks with a different voice. That's one of the rules of writing. Right, right. Most of you guys don't do that. No offense, but I'm a trained writer, and I know how to do that. And wait a second, you don't like where I'm going with the story? Because it's what? Unique and individual, and you've never read a story like that before? Knock, knock. Isn't that what you want? Yeah. Don't you want to read it? And you get to the third time and you finally go, oh my God, I get it. Because you, you because I really worked in, on your brain. 
And that's the thing about Batman Odyssey is that had I said all that, it would have been a different scenario. I didn't say it because I tried to be a nice guy. I don't know about nice guys. Sure. And I'm not really well, happy with I thought it was nice great guy. the first time I read it. Well, you read it, but if you read it again, you'll find other, there will be all these nuances that are going on that you kind of go, yeah, well, that's just, yeah. oh, that's just Neil doing some more action. No, it's not. And I'll be honest, that's something I discovered because I read it the first time, and I went back and reread sections of it because I wasn't sure exactly what I understood. Exactly. And, you know, so. And there were other things. But it was a great book. I just, yeah. I no, wanted to, you know, give you the. That's the kind of book you're the... going to read over and over again. But that's the kind of book I do. And the, the, the shocking thing to me is to have these guys respond as if they never read Superman versus Muhammad Ali. They never read my Dead Man stories. They never gre read Green Lantern, Green Arrow, or my X-Men stories, or my Avengers stories. Most of those were mine, or certainly in, in, in a, a majority of those were my stories, and many of those were written by me. I wrote uh, Superman versus Muhammad Ali. Denny had to cop out. So uh, the best, one of the very best books in comics you can go, fuck that, and I, now I don't like Neil Adams. Right. Really? Really? Let's have a conversation about that. Right. I don't think you want to be saying that. I hear you. And I, and, and, uh, I, and, and, okay, I made a mistake. Now I have to climb up back out of the pit I dug. But I'm okay with that. I'm fine with that. And I'm doing it. There you go. Great. I got a, a dead man book, and dead man's yelling at everybody. Because he's dead. What can he do, you know? Um, I uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I really you appreciate did. you. What are you talking about? Right. You call it baloney. I, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Peter, did you have anything that you wanted oh, to ask him? A um, couple of things. I was looking at that uh, Stephen Amell arrow uh, print that's yes. up there. Do you still do uh, watercolor for the colors, or is that digital coloring? Both. Okay, both. Both. Okay. I like to... Uh, um, I will steal the color from the photo from a photograph if right. I if it pleases me. Okay. But I do like to do some of my own color to make yeah. sure that it's, it has an identifying thing. Yeah. So you'll find under underlying off uh, some of the portraits that I do, you'll find a certain amount of the photograph. I like to stick the photograph there, and then I like to say, you know what? Back away from the photograph. Back away. Back away. Back away. Okay, we'll stop there. And so you have a mix yeah. of the watercolor and a little bit of the photograph. But there's no photograph that looks just like that. It, there's a couple of photographs, and they're kind of mixed together, you know. When they say mixed media, they can you can also say it in computer. You can use mixed media in computer. You yeah, just, definitely. hey, let's bring that up, or let's push that down, or you know what, we're going to change this and change that. So I don't feel it's the artist's job to serve the, to serve the audience a palette that they understand. I think it's the artist's job to serve the palette some something that they go oh my god look at that that's what their job is to respond not to it's okay to criticize I, I like the conversation because any any artist likes the conversation about art but I don't I'm never backed away by using the tools that are available to me because it's stupid for me not to yeah I mean one of the uh, Vermeer yeah, you may not know about Vermeer but Vermeer never displayed his work yet he's one of the most famous artists in the history of art because he used the camera lucid to project his stuff onto his canvas. And in doing that, he always painted everything by a casement window because he had the sun to light it, yeah. okay? So the sun lit everything by a casement window. So if you see a Vermeer of four guys playing cards, you know it's not Vermeer because it's not by a casement window. One, two, he was ashamed of what he did. Yet Rembrandt did it all the time. 
Yeah, that's true. Didn't give yeah. a shit. <laughs> so, so Vermeer was being a jerk. He was using the right tools. He just wasn't proud of it. Yeah. So, I don't, I don't get involved in that mix. I don't give. You see that right there? That picture right there? That's the hundred greatest athletes of the century. I did that for ESPN magazine. So around the ring is the hundred greatest athletes of the century. Every one of them was traced from photographs. Yeah. Because it's stupid not to. But then I went further. I took the skin of from the photographs. I took out the eyeballs, the nostrils, and the teeth, and I put the people's skin on the drawing. So that's their skin from a photograph, coloring them. I use their skin to color them. Yeah, it's a smart way to work. Nobody's ever done that. In the history of art, up to today, nobody's ever done that. That's awesome. That is awesome. That's awesome. Well, how about this? You have a line forming. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Neil. It was a pleasure meeting you. Thank you very much. Okay, we're back. There it is. So Neil Adams explaining Raish, um, explaining. So and then you also heard me ask about a book called Batman Odyssey in that clip. If you're looking for a cool Batman story, he said what's really cool. I like that is where he said you have to read it twice. The story is really good, but it's compelling. Have you ever read Batman Odyssey? No, I haven't read it. Okay. When I saw Batman, when I heard about Batman Odyssey, I went out and bought it immediately. I started reading it right away. It starts out in this really cool, like, noir story where Bruce Wayne is, like, he just got back to the Batcave and he's talking about this thing, almost like he's venting. You can't, you don't really know who he's talking to until the end of the book, but you don't really, but he's talking and telling this story and you're getting these pieces of the story. And then about halfway through, it gets really weird, but understandably really weird as to things that happen in the story. And then it kind of wraps back around and you get to see all this stuff and it was just really incredible. Now, in the interview, Neil Adams said that you should read it twice. What's interesting about that is I read it and I read it a second time, not because I was confused about stuff, but because I wasn't sure if I fully saw everything because there's so much, yeah. it's so dense. Um, but it's a really great book. I liked it a lot. So he I also love... sounded a little angry at the internet's response in that interview, <laughs> but um, it's a great book. So yeah, I love those kinds of stories too. Like uh, I read and watched uh, Fight Club while I already knew the ending, but it just made it that much more interesting because I could see all the things hinting to up to it so i love those like intricate kinds of stories that you can enjoy multiple times um and then otherwise relating to the uh neil adams interview i don't know if you can hear it but at one point he says uh somebody looks like green arrow that's me so you heard it here first neil adams thinks <laughs> peter from the top five report looks like green arrow and uh it's because of your mustache because the entire time we were walking them through the con Everyone we ran into said, nice mustache. <laughs> yeah, I've got an old school like handlebar mustache going for any listeners who don't know <laughs> what I look like. Um, but another thing I want to say relating to uh, Raza Ghoul is uh, I still say Thanos. I don't like Thanos. Like it's, I spelled Thanos, so that's how I'm going to say look, it. <laughs> I, I have always said, said Thanos. Um, it wasn't until the movie came out that I, I think when the movie came out, that's the first time I had ever actually heard someone say Thanos and I'm like, yeah. no, it's Thanos. Sorry. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I still stand by it spelled Thanos. So that's what I'll go with. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, after the Neil Adams panel, we wandered the floor some more, you know, we ran into a friend of yours, you know, we sat and chatted, uh, did a little shopping, uh, not much. Um, but then after that, uh, we went to the Batman panel. Yes. 
Uh, now, when I say the Batman panel, um, I'm referring to this as uh, it, this year marks the 80th anniversary of Batman. He was introduced, and in the Batman's first introduction was in Detective Comics number 27. It's been 80 years later, and Detective Comics 1000 is on the brink of coming out. So, um, actually, by the time this episode drops, Detective 1000 will be in my hands. And as I record this, it actually is in my hands. It's in the other room. I just haven't read it yet. So, I will have a review because I'm very anxious to read it. Great. Um, with that said, um, we went to the Batman uh, 80th anniversary panel. Uh, this had uh, comic book creators Peter Tomasi, uh, who you know, he did a lot of work in the New 52. He wrote basically the entire run of Batman and Robin and some of the other uh, pieces, but um, which I actually picked up at the con, the entire run of Batman and Robin New 52. Um, uh, Jason Fabrick, uh, Mark Silvestri. Uh, Mark Silvestri is currently working on the Three Jokers storyline. And then the girl on the panel, I honestly, I cannot remember her name. Mm -hmm. um, I think, I believe she's an artist. I feel bad that I don't remember her name. But um, the reason I bring up the people on the panel is because they started faster than I could have the mic ready. So I missed <laughs> some of the introductions. Oh, um, yeah, certainly. I, I just missed some of their intros because the panel had, like, they had started faster than the mic could get turned on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so with that being said, um, I'm going to let, again... Do you have anything to add on the panel before we let the panel speak for itself? Uh, I can comment afterwards. Okay, <laughs> great. Um, so with that being said, uh, we're going to turn it over and let the panel discuss. This is the actual panel. I cut the mic short of the audience questions. So once they were done talking, I stopped the mic because sometimes when the audience is allowed to ask questions, there's some weird... Every now and then, some like ridiculously weird question comes up, and they ask about something that the creators can't talk about because they're under <laughs> NDAs or like a movie's coming out or something, and it it kind of bogs stuff down. So instead of making you guys sit through that, I basically uh, we chopped it up so we have just the main discussion from the panel. So I figured that was completely understandable. So um, I'm gonna shut up and <laughs> let them do the talking. So uh, here you go, uh, the Batman 80th anniversary panel. So I want to start off with a little bit of history, because given that it has been 80 years since Batman was created, there's a lot of continuity, a lot of history behind this character. Um, and when we're talking about where it came from, we are talking about 1930s pulp, and, and those like kind of noir, noir novels and, and the detective stories. And do you guys still think that Batman has a lot of that in him, or do you think that's more kind of a secondary or tertiary character at this point? No, I think the pulp, at least for me, is, is still a real, I mean, having just done this recent art um, in detective mythology, I, I love the pulp aspect of the, the detective angles. When, you know, when I took on detective, I really wanted to make sure I, I, I embraced the detective title as much as possible. Um, but um, yeah, I think those roots are just, it, it's in his DNA. I, 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 don't, I think almost every writer is still, you know, tapping into that at this juncture, even 80 years later. I don't know about anybody up here, but my, my first introduction to comics was actually uh, radio dramas. When I went on road trips with my parents, we would listen to The Shadow. Um, what evil lurks in the hearts of men, The Shadow Zones. And that was a, a huge foundation of Batman and that mythology. Anybody else? Uh, I might be the only radio drama here. <laughs> no, The Shadow stuff is great. I mean, as uh, uh, Green Hornet also. And like, yeah. I, we, we listened to that too. Not, not back in the 30s. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anybody a fan of the Phantom movie with Billy Zane in the early 90s? Oh, All those horror movies with uh, Anthony, uh, 
And that's the beauty of a character that's lasted for this long, is that there are different incarnations of him. And I, I was born in 66, right? So I grew up with the Adam West TV show. And then later on, I got reintroduced to Batman when they kind of got reinvented with Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill stories in the 70s, you know? And then Frank Miller reintroduced me to him again in the 80s, and I just keep on falling back in love with this character, with new people who are behind it, and still the same character, just different takes on him, and, and that's why he's endured for 80 years, because it's that, he's that strong of a, a character. Yeah, you hit around the note, that's what I was going to say, too. It's just each, each decade seems to have some kind of creative talent that sort of just refreshes it and, and brings something new. I mean, for me, it was, um, I love the craziness of the Bob Haney, Jim Apparel stories, um, and the Neil Adams stuff, where those were, those were my era, too, when I was growing up. So that that was just, uh, you know, great times. And like you said, then suddenly Miller's on and just changes it up, and you've got, like you were saying, Long Halloween, and then, uh, you know, it's, then it's what Greg and uh, Scott did on their Batman run, and, and like with me and Pat, everybody, Batman can just bring you so many different things, and it's, it, that's the best thing about the character, like you said, because it can, like I always love Batman because he can do anything. You can put him in a war, a western, a sci-fi, right. on the moon, <laughs> in the bottom, you know, tunnels of Paris, anywhere. He works everywhere, and it's, it's great, and every, and all these teams have just brought life to him, you know, through the ages. I think one of the interesting things also about The Dark Knight specifically, which, full disclosure, I went to graduate school to write about that version of Batman. That was, that was also a big deal for me. Um, it's one of the few instances where we do see Batman aging, genuinely aging and struggling with the fact that he's aging. Um, and how do you guys contend with the fact that Batman does get reinvented, but he also has almost this static quality as well. Of he's kind of always in this mid-30s-ish, unless it's one of those outside experiences of The Dark Knight or Batman Beyond, where we have a new Batman that's taken over. I think that's what makes Batman so likable and so relatable, is that he is just a guy. Like, he doesn't have superpowers, he doesn't have healing powers, you know, he can't live forever. And I think that's why people, you know, are drawn to him, so relatable. I mean, not so relatable, but uh, like he's a real guy. Yes, he's an old man or a young Bruce Bruce Wayne or whatever. Uh, you know, he's vulnerable, and I think that's that's what draws a lot of people to him is that it's not so far from fiction or whatever. You know, he's not a super human being. One of the things that um, we talked about yesterday on the on the DC superheroes panel was what is the heart of being a superhero? What what differentiates? superhero from just a hero, and I'd like to hear your guys' answers for that as well. Well, um, uh, if I can step in, you know, to me, like a superhero, obviously the super uh, means something, right, because we all know heroes in our daily lives, you know, um, ourselves, our neighbors, or whatever, um, uh, firefighters, and uh, soldiers, and police officers, and just general people that, that do things for uh, selfless reasons, right, and that's, that's kind of, when you're putting someone else before you, it could be one person, it could be a million people, but you're making decisions that are for them and not for you. No, I mean, that's just hero heroic uh, in and of itself, and I think that's kind of where it starts. And I think a lot of heroes, superheroes in comics, they have that basic uh, element about them, where they're selfless. Uh, Batman is a little more interesting uh, in the sense that you're not really sure if he's selfless. Uh, 
per se. And I, and I think that's part of what's compelling about stories about Batman and how, you know, we were just talking about it, that Batman's different with the creators, and he's still fundamentally Batman, but each decade you can kind of do a little reinventing of, of, of him a little bit. But you know, I always find it interesting that, that Batman, um, he is different, a different kind of superhero. You know, he's uh, obviously he's not powered, uh, and his his uh, maybe uh, ultimate goal isn't as quite squeaky clean as other superheroes. And uh, yeah, but fundamentally, I think it's uh, trying to do the right thing. Yeah. I always liked Batman because I felt I could actually be Batman. Like Superman, you know, his powers are phenomenal and larger than life. But Batman's a, a guy who. You know, he's got some money, he's built a cool costume, and he's got a really cool car, and he goes out in the night and he fights bad guys. He fights the mob, and he fights, like, I always felt more connected to him in that way. Even as a kid, like, I could, I could pretend to be Batman, I think, a little easier than I could be Superman. Batman can't fly, he's running around on the ground, he's got a cool cape, he can jump and glide and grapple, and all that sort of stuff. And so, uh, I always liked that part of Batman. Felt like it felt like I could potentially some it could actually be real. Somebody can actually do that, and I think with the Chris Nolan movies, kind of bringing that like a, a real look at how could a person actually do this in real life was really neat to see. Uh, it was different than like, the Batman '89 version, which is my favorite Batman. Uh, but uh, yeah, so when we're talking about Batman, I, I hear the term anti-hero thrown around a lot with Batman, and I think that sometimes that kind of makes sense, but not always. Does that kind of jive with your understanding of him too? I mean, not to me. I mean, he's a he's a hero. I mean, but he he goes out. And even in the current mythology um, <coughs> arc, it was really about what the cost is to be Batman, and he pays a price for it every night, uh, mentally, physically, etc. So. Um, no, I mean, to me, Batman, I mean, even at the end of that story where, you know, his, his main mission to me is, you know, he, they ask, when are you going to stop? And then when he has all these faces of all the people who've been murdered in Gotham annually that year, it's like he wants that number to be zero, and that's when he can rest. And obviously, we all know that can never be, but he's, that's, that's his end game, it's, it's to get the absolute zero of, of people being harmed and being killed and, 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 and hurt, so. Does everybody agree that that's Batman's endgame, is to get to the point where no one is getting harmed in his city? Uh, I don't know. I think it's a little, it's a little, I get that part. It's a little greater to me. You know, I think, to me, uh, it could be a more personal thing for Batman. You know, but I certainly, uh, that's a massive part of his mythology. So I think, I think he believes that Batman belongs to him, the citizens are his responsibility. You know, absolutely. So some of the conversations that get had about Batman almost treat Gotham like it's it's its own character. It is it is part of the story and separate from all of the characters in it. How do you think that plays into the legacy of Batman and the fact that he has lasted for 40 years or 80 years? It's definitely got the coolest setting out of all the all, out of all the heroes, and it can be interpreted in so many different ways. Uh, just like Batman can be, he can be played off. It can be played off super realistic. Goofy or really dark and stylized and gothic. Um, that's, I know, like myself, like when I'm drawing Gotham City, I feel like it can, it can be more of a character than it can be another book. 
Trek. Living, breathing Trek. That was one of the genius things about Star Trek, the original series that a lot of people don't remember, realize is that there was four main characters. Yeah, it was Kirk, it was McCoy, it was Spock, and it was the Starship, it was the Enterprise. That was the other, that was the fourth character. You know, and I think often can be looked at the same way. Do you think it's different for, say, even just Superman as Metropolis, right? But I don't feel like we have the same conversations about Metropolis like we do with Gotham. Do you, why do you think that might be? I, I think even if you just say Gotham, everyone has this image in their head of, you know, Gothic architecture and dark alleyways. And um, I think, yeah, Gotham has been imprinted in our minds. It's, it's, it is its own character, really. Yeah, it's New York. Back when New York Chicago. was New York. <laughs> when there was, you know, buildings that people cared about and craftsmanship and, and weirdness and strangeness and uh, not 100,000 glass towers that are taking us over. <laughs> so being a born in New York, I have a real problem with what's happening in my city. <laughs> but it, that, that, it's Gotham. I mean, that New York is Gotham. I mean, you know, you see obviously a lot of artists, they'll draw the Brooklyn Bridge in Gotham. And it's, you know, it's, it's New York back when it had some real character. Do you think it also might be because um, even beyond comics, there's so many other visual mediums that we've been able to consume with Gotham in it. Like we have Adam West show, we have you know Batman the Animated Series, we have Batman Beyond, we have all of these live action movies, we have all these animated movies. There's all these different intros, and every single one of them has a version of Gotham in it. Do you think that there's a, an element of inconsistency in some of those iterations of it, or is it all just adaptable? Well, there's also a bad, bad area, right? <laughs> Dark God. Yeah. It's, it's usually nighttime. It is usually nighttime. <laughs> it needs to be the actual constant template. Right. That, that literally goes from 39 to now. It just seems to be the one thing that kind of stays the same, which is good. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting to have that the city be unchanging in a way. <coughs> he has to operate it. Like, uh, Tim Burton, obviously, the, the most wild version of that. Like, I appreciate that. I, in the Batman that I'm doing, I kind of take some diesel punk cues that I think work. Because I think diesel punk mixed with, with gothic uh, architecture and giving. Um, I rarely, I don't use rulers very much when I draw gothic. Um, any artists out there that sounds like uh, blasphemy, but uh, I, I try to keep gothic as organic as possible because it, it feels more like a living, breathing thing, certainly than metropolis. So I, for me, especially, I think that um, Gotham and the bat suit are kind of the two visually defining things about Batman, like the silhouette of the bat suit. Is there, if you could distill the bat suit down to like three requirements of every single version of the Batman suit has to have these three things, what would those three things be? Yeah, the, the easy ones are the cowl, yeah. the symbol, and the cape. You don't think so that, but the cow including the ears. Yeah, the ears are, are very key. I mean, I even like to use like I like to use the ears as a weapon. Like there's a scene we had in, in this <laughs> anthology where you know he shoots, I have to, you know, he shoots one of the ears off the cow. I wanted Batman to be every part of that suit is usable in some way, shape, or form to combat crime or, or keep him out of a bad situation. So it was uh, it's it, it, that suit's even a living, breathing thing to me too. Mm -hmm. Are there any color schemes that you particularly, I mean like the, the black and gray is pretty, pretty classic, right? But we've also got the blue and gray of the 66 show, we've got the purple <coughs> gloves from year zero, like there's a bunch of different kind of adaptations that stick to that core pattern. Is, 
there a particular one that you really, really love visually? Black and gray. Black and gray. I like a lot of the different ones. I do like the blue, too. Sometimes yeah. when you see it and it's done properly and the color palette is done right, it, it still looks really good. It's also a really good cue of what the tone of the book is going to be, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is there, is there, one of the things that I particularly love about Batman is that on top of Gotham, he has kind of this army of secondary and tertiary characters that back him up. Is there a character in the Bat family that you're like, that's mine, that's the one that I love? Damien for me is probably. Yeah. yeah. Damien. <laughs> it was, uh, it was a real pleasure to sort of get the handoff from Grant and uh, just kind of run with him and, and uh, just develop him and make him as even three-dimensional as I possibly could and just put him through the ringer. And uh, I mean, I've lost count of how many people I've had literally crying at the table when the, when the, for the Requiem issue and the death happening. And it was, uh, it's so cool when you can touch people emotionally like that. So uh, to me, even though it, I never would have imagined that I would have said Dick Grayson was not my favorite Robin. Damien Wynn, I think, is the perfect Robin. I know that's, I know some Tim Drake fans. I know some Tim Drake fans are going to go, Jesus, no. Um, I just think he, he's built to be Robin, and it's the kind of character, you know, when he's out in the streets and, and doing his thing. I mean, this kid is, you know, he's a renaissance man, in a way, a renaissance kid. He can do anything. He, he knows every aspect from, from arts to history to military history to fighting, see black arts, I mean everything. So he's he's the perfect one to be next to Batman in sort of that dangerous situation because of course every, there's a lot of people who say, I still can't believe, like there, I mean even Scott, he, he doesn't like to write like Robin, write Robin with Batman out there because he feels that it's just irresponsible to have a kid out there. But when you put Damien out there, you can't really say, I don't know, because Damien can handle himself, that's for sure. Uh, for me, I was just going to say, uh, Catwoman is one of my favorites, and I love how, yeah, <laughs> I love how she's, she's the, you know, Batman's equal, and you never really know, like, is she a good guy, is she a bad guy, she, she sort of plays both sides, and she, that, I always thought that was really interesting to not make her, you know, an obvious, like you were saying, poor hero or anti-hero, um, and it's just a cool, strong female character, I, I always really like her and stuff to her. I'm pretty sure Michelle Pfeiffer didn't hurt some of those facts that we got in there. I'm a big fan of Ace the Bat Hound. He's very underutilized in the Batman universe, but he's a key, key character. Uh, for myself, I'm a little, uh, this may be a little controversial. I've always liked Batman alone. I'm always drawn to him more when it's just Batman. Uh, but at the same time, I like. I also, like, my first introduction to Batman as a kid was watching reruns of the 66 show. And so, the original Dick Grayson Robin, especially in that version, that universe, has, um, I have a lot of love for that character. I, I just love that, the dynamic between those two. Um, with the book that I'm doing now, it's, it's uh, with three Jokers, it's Batman, Batgirl, and Red Hood. And I never, I never cared for Red Hood. I, I never understood this character, but now I just love him. <laughs> like Jeff Johns has written, I think maybe the best Red Hood story ever, and it's like a very definitive Red Hood tale. And I've just fallen in love with this character. And same with Batgirl. And so I've learned to kind of, I kind of see Batman as 
all these different iterations. I love the ones where he's just alone by himself. But then I also, like you were mentioning with Damien, like I remember reading the uh, Batman and Robin series that, that you worked on, but also when Morrison first kind of brought that out, and I had never really paid too much attention to Robin, and that, that, that book again sold me on that, that, that team dynamic. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think it changes with me with every project and every book I read. You know, it makes it interesting because it does, like you said, I love Batman and Solitaire. Like, I knew the first arc needed to be, I wanted to just be Batman and no Robin, having done Batman and Robin. So, but it's just, then it's, suddenly when I'm doing the Arkham Knight arc and I've got some Damien in there, it, it just feels, and then it also feels, it feels perfect to have that banter between them and that humanization of Batman aside from being the lone driven, you know, vigilante out there. So that, that's, it's, that's what's great about the character. You can just keep going back and forth and all this stuff and it always feels fresh. Yeah. I always thought Batmite was kind of cool. Right? But I agree. I kind of I kind of prefer Batman on his own. Um, for me, I mean, it's kind of, it's not kind of weird, but for me, his, my favorite teammates of his are, um, not really teammates, but like Catwoman and the Joker. And uh, I kind of explore the Joker and what I'm doing, but it's compelling to me because those are the only two people you can't tell what to do. You know, and you, you put them in the same room together, and you put them in a situation like they have to deal with each other, and you can always tell that the other one is having the best time of their life, and Batman is miserable. <laughs> <laughs> because he can pretty much tell everyone else I'm Batman. You know, both the Joker and for and Catwoman for their own reasons, they go, yeah, I know you're wrong, but I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I always thought that was kind of compelling. Whenever they were, uh, it was always fun, and, and I, I love people that can do a really great interaction between you know, Batman and, and Catwoman, you know, and really treat that as as this horrifying romance, you know, that um, you know, Batman is almost kind of helpless to stop, really, in, in sometimes. But, when you guys are talking about preferring Batman kind of to himself, do you think there's a, a difference in tone or type of story that you can tell with Batman by himself versus Batman with a Robin or with a former sidekick or with Catwoman? Is there a difference between the type of story that gets told there? I think you can do anything. I think you can do uh, an all-out comedy issue, and I think you can do an incredibly dramatic issue. I mean, I think the all those characters can fit tonally in, in anything at this point. I mean, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> if you haven't read this, please, please do. Case and then tweet about me. <laughs> but no, I think it fits. I think they can all fit different types of tonalities uh, across the board. Any follow agreement? I was just going to say, I feel like whenever Robin is there, it is like a little bit more lighthearted. They can play off each other. And, um, so that's kind of to see too, it's maybe not so serious and yeah. But then again, some of the darkest Batman stories involve Robin yeah. <laughs> slaughtered the human. Yeah, if you look at that guy, yeah, Pat true. drew a great thing about Batman Robin, Damien's put his fingers through nobody's head, <laughs> and he's like, sorry, Batman. <laughs> it can get dark, and I think, I think you can juggle all that stuff. As, as long as you stay true and you don't, you don't do it just for like, um, shock thing, you know, as long as it's, it's, it's true to the characters and you examine the repercussions of those things, um, that's, you know, you can't, you can just do them in, in fun ways and serious ways, they're all, mm -hmm. that's what's great about it. 
I do want to take a moment, for those that might not know, when um, Jason Todd was officially killed off the first time, the first time, um, it was like a margin of 28 votes. Uh, DC set up a 900 number for folks to call into, so 28 readers decided that wow. Jason Todd was going to die. So if you think that your vote doesn't count in any situation, <laughs> please take that as an example. It really genuinely does. Is there a, a particular team other than Batman and somebody? Like, is there a duo of Robins or a Robin and a villain or something like that that you would love to work on or a story that you would love to see somebody else? <coughs> Selfishly, I always loved Zatanna, um, and just she is like one of the most powerful characters. Uh, she could really do anything, and just uh, I would just love to take her on in a story or something. I think when you look at the Brave and the Bold stuff, you know, obviously from the 60s and 70s and 80s, um, and they, they team Batman up with everybody under the sun. Um, and then does it always work? No, but a lot of times it really did. It did work, and the, 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 that juxtaposition of Batman with Spectre, um, which is coming up in one thousand and six and seven, is an arc. Is that going to be done? Um, it. He just. You can do anything with that. It just. He just works against everything, against everybody. It's kind of cool to see. I was just thinking about that issue of Swamp Thing by Bernie Wright. Oh, yeah. Where he teams up with Batman, like that's that, that's an awesome issue. Right? Yeah, I mean, Batman and a flamethrower and Swamp. I mean, it's, it's great stuff. Like I, you keep saying the same thing. It's like it, it works everywhere across the DCU, across the breadth of the DCU. You can be with Adam Strange, you know, you know and Ron. And it can still work. I mean, it, he's just all over the place. It works great. If I, if I do another Batman after this one, at some point, I, I don't know if it's some stupid idea, but you know what? I, I kind of like to do a Batman Jim Gordon story. Please, please, let's do that myself. <laughs> I just think that would be compelling and interesting. I mean, that's, you know, aside from Alfred, you know, Jim Gordon is Batman's only top notch friend. You know, it's the only one you can actually call a friend, you know, that he really cares about. It's the only family he has left those two men. So I think that'd be kind of a cool story, you know. Um, yeah, but uh, let DC know. <laughs> I'm about to turn 60, but I have a couple more years left. So a couple of you have mentioned kind of your first encounter with Batman, you know, whether it be the 66 show or Batman the Animated Series. How much of a groove do you think that might have carved in you in your understanding of the character? Or did, I mean, you've also mentioned all these changes, but do you kind of always go back to that original one, or do you kind of move, keep moving with him? I think it gets, like, ingrained in your brain, but I, I feel like every iteration of Batman, you know, that, that heart and soul is there, and you always kind of remember your first interpretation, but it's, it's seeing everyone else's interpretation and, and how the character evolves, you know, it, that's really cool to see too, but I feel like that the soul of Batman is definitely always there. I think, the, I mean, the breadth of all the stuff that the creators have brought to, to Batman, yeah, they're, they're in on the DNA of all the stories, am I right? I, I, don't, I don't think you can escape them. I think they're, everybody has added just these, their own cellular structure to the, to the, to the character that, are, that, that just plays so well. So it's, it's valid almost all the time that you can bring obviously things to the forefront or push things to the background. But yeah, it's, there's a lot there. 
So I would also ask you guys if you have a favorite arc or particular story that you read about Batman that you would want this room, if they haven't read it already, to go check it out. It can be something you worked on yourself too. I'm totally fine with that. Well, like I said earlier, for me, anything uh, Tim Sale, Jeff Lowe, but especially The Long Halloween, that's my favorite. Definitely recommend reading that. <laughs> I think year one was pretty much for me the story that I mean I still there's so many other great Batman stories but what they did in that short amount of issues I read it every year just to see how you can tell a great story in a, in a very short amount of time and it still blows me away every time I read it it's it's pretty it's pretty amazing I think it's still you still discover even little things but then you can look at the art a little closely you let your eye drift across on every reading and catch little different things about it that, you know, I wish Masticelli could have done a lot more work. When I was editing, I used to call him once a year, and I'd be like, and it was always around Christmas time, because I always wanted to get myself a Christmas present of trying to get a Masticelli Batman thing, um, or any kind of DC property with him. And it'd be, and he'd, and he'd be like, uh-oh, it must be Christmas time, you give me another shout. And then I'm like, so? He's like, nah, I don't think so. But uh, yeah, year one just is a is an, a, an eternal book. It's a great Batman story. Uh, yeah. Ben has my vote too. Year one. Yeah. yeah. There's so many great ones, but I I would my absolute all-time favorite was the Daniel Neil Neil Adam Tronzo Bull uh, saga. I just thought that was brilliant, and um, the villain was I mean as good as it gets. It's a really terrific story. Yeah, I don't know which one. Uh, the Long Halloween and Dark Victory were two that I really, really loved. Uh, and even for me, the biggest one for inspiration is uh, Batman Hush. Um, like that was the when I picked up that book and read it. Like that's when I knew I wanted to be a comic artist. Like Jim Lee, it was just like holy smoke. Like this, this art is just. And and even to this day, I've been trying to somehow channel some of that feeling that I first got from reading that book and all the stuff I've drawn. Uh, and then the other one is, uh, I've been looking at it a lot because of the Joker stuff, is um, Killing Joke. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I think Brian Moore, like the art in that book, I mean, my, my book changes a lot, but right now in my mind, it's the greatest comic ever drawn. Like, I don't know, like, it's just so perfect. And I don't know how any human being could have drawn that book. But, uh, yeah, that one's really special for me right now. Is there, uh, and some of you guys have mentioned a couple things you'd like to do, or some of you are already working on a lot of Batman stuff. Is there a Batman story inside of you that you really want to tell? Is there a dream Batman project for you? The, the one I'm working on right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's usually that's my answer to it. Usually it's the one I'm on, I'm, I'm always committed to it. That's the one that I'm, I've dove completely, you know, deep as I can into, and I'm li living and breathing it every day is always, you know, the favorite one that I'm doing. Yeah, I'd say same. <laughs> In fact, with this Three Joker story, I had an idea, I've had an idea for a long time about a Batman story, and then Jeff Johns calls me up and says, hey, listen to this pitch, and he literally pitches me the story that I've had in my head for years, mm -hmm. and I go, okay, it's meant, it's meant to be, it's meant to be, so. I guess I'm looking forward to the next movie I get to make fun of. Gary Hackleck was fun to draw, so we'll see who's next, right?
Yeah, there will be green. I can't wait to see the video. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get? We don't. They don't. <laughs> they don't care, I'm sure, but. <laughs> Good. He's intense. He also can do comedy. Yeah. So I think a Batman who shows some levity is always is always great to go for like a you know a Michael Keaton. Let's get crazy and then also be able to to have some real fun moments and just show a little lightness to it instead of like I said a, get too dark and grim. I think could be uh, the right kind of actor. So yeah, he could fit. He could fit well. You heard it here, folks. We should do Oscar Isaac. We should start like an online petition or something to get him. Is there a particular version of Batman on screen that you like the best? I like Nolan's. Okay. I, mean, uh, I appreciated the fact that you know Tim Burton kind of brought it back and at least showed it could be different. Mm -hmm. You know, I look I look at those now and I go, wow, that's really like amazing production design. You know, um, I, sometimes I just can't get past the silliness. Uh, it's a lot more campy than people give it credit. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I think but, people see so much black and they. Lose the humor that's happening in the Well, if you were of that age and that generation to see that when it first came out and, and, and be old enough for it, man, you couldn't wait to see that movie, right. right? I mean, you were just like, and you just even forgave, you know, its, its failings here and there because you were just saying, wow, this Batman, that opening sequence and everything, you were just, you could never imagine it getting better. And then all of a sudden, of course, when you get stuff like the Nolan, and, and it's, it's but yeah, it's, it's funny how you, you could think it can't be surpassed, but then you know, it comes around and, and then kicks ass on it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was gonna say, I think the Nolan movies, I think they're the best Batman movies, but Batman 89 is my favorite Batman. And I think it's because it was the one that I saw when I was eight years old, when I shouldn't have been watching it. But I had my, <laughs> I had my babysitter tape it off TV on my parents' back so that I could watch it. But uh, that movie, like I watched, I've watched that movie so many times, and it's just got a, it's that nostalgic factor, I guess. But everything from the design of the bat suits, the way that uh, uh, Michael Keaton acts and moves with the no, no moving his neck, it just I don't know, like in the car and the Anton first, and the way he designed all the city and, and the bat jet. I don't know. There's just a magic to that movie, and I'm kind of I, I really would love it if if they would go back to some of that more fantastical design, like I, I'm tired of seeing like a realistic New York or Gotham, like let's go back to a, more of a production design to everything. Like, stretch it a little bit. Yeah, stretch it, bring back that yellow oval, oval dude, man. That's my favorite logo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is one of my favorite questions because I know my answer. Do you guys have a favorite bat gadget? Is there something in his arsenal that the you sharper can do? The sharper pen. Okay, thank you. Thank you for coming. Anything else? Just the sharper pen? Yeah? I think, I, think, <laughs> I think just recently his bat, his bat ears for me, the cow ears. Yeah. He used them to take out a shark's eye as a chance to read it. was a key moment of uh, looking back and saying, you are a super genius. <laughs> Uh, so we're sort of coming towards the end, um, so if you do have any question that you want to ask, and I will reinforce the question part of that, it's not, well, I have more of a comment. If you have a question, please feel free to start lighting up at the microphone in the middle of the room. And we're back. Okay, so Batman panel, you had thoughts on, you wanted to commentate um, after the panel's over? Well, I mean, I just thought it was, uh, 
I think Batman's just such an interesting character, and there's a... Like, Superman's my favorite superhero, but I will admit, like, in certain cases, it's more interesting to talk about Batman, because as they went over in the panel, like, you can apply him to so many different genres, and there's so many different uh, ways you can look at him as a character, so it's just, it was such a good panel, um... And I mean, even though Superman's my favorite hero, like Batman's totally my number two. You know, what's what's rough about that though is like, so last year we were at C2E2 for your bachelor party. Yeah. And I remember walking through the con thinking, if there's one thing we got to do for your bachelor party is we have to go to the Superman anniversary panel because mm-hmm. last year was Superman's 80th anniversary yeah. and it was the Action Comics 1000 panel <laughs> and we couldn't go for whatever reason. And I was like, it kind of... <laughs> It would have been nice to do both panels. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, so, for sure. Um, um, also, just like uh, Mark Silvestri was there, and that was awesome. Like, he's another one of my favorite artists, and I actually didn't know how much of a uh, Batman fan he was, but knowing his other work, it makes total sense. And uh, yeah, I just think like Mark Silvestri was one of the uh, founders of Image Comics, and those guys are like my heroes essentially. And like, it was just awesome to see him in a panel, you know? Yeah. Um, the, uh, what I really liked is when they talked about how Gotham city is just as much of a character. Um, yeah. Where I don't want, this doesn't sound negative, but I almost feel like Gotham city is so much of a character in the Batman series where that doesn't apply to any other character, any other character in comic books. It doesn't apply to Spider-Man. It doesn't apply to Captain America or Iron Man. It doesn't really, like, Superman has Metropolis, but it doesn't apply the same way. Do you know what? Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I feel like Gotham is... I do feel like Metropolis comes the closest to oh, Gotham City, but I do think Gotham does. City is definitely more distinctive. Like, you say Gotham City and, ever, like, the majority of the people of people you could talk to have an idea in their head of what Gotham City is. I think Metropolis comes close for people who grew up on, like, uh, the Superman animated series. Like, there is a distinct look to Metropolis. And Metropolis comes close, but it's not the same as Gotham City with the darkness and the grittiness and the uh, gothic architecture, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, I think that was a really good point. Um, I loved that uh, Mark Silvestri said he doesn't he doesn't like to use rulers when drawing uh, Gotham City, which, which is super interesting. It, it but does because it kind of yeah. makes it very organic. Yeah, and I thought that was really cool to hear. So, um, and a lot of times Gotham City is depicted with like buildings made of laid brick, you know, like old school masonry, and that doesn't always have like perfectly straight lines especially as like buildings like that deteriorate yeah. so it totally works i also know? liked the free gifts that we got because uh, when we got to the batman panel we got the batman oh, yeah. 80th anniversary the button we got a pack of uh, baseball cards that was like it was like uh it was basically art did you open yours no i haven't opened it's them. artwork through the ages so it's like every decade uh, it's like a baseball card with artwork from like all the different areas yeah. of batman uh, which was cool. So I'm I planning... assume it's the same as my... I assume we got the same. It's not like yeah. we got packs that we got to trade. And I'm planning out. on uh, keeping mine sealed and uh, selling it at Batman's 160th anniversary. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then they gave us uh, issue one of Scott Snyder's uh, Court of Owls. Yep. I thought that was cool. And it came so. with a mask. There was two covers. The outside cover was like a hard cardboard, and it had a little mask oh, dude, on it. I didn't and you even could notice that. Oh, really? I didn't even notice that. I was just like, oh, they gave us they gave us issue one of a <laughs> yeah a book that I already own. But hey, I got another copy. Awesome. <laughs> um, 
So, uh, yeah, after the Batman panel, we did some more walking around, and that kind of brings Saturday to a close. Um, we didn't do much for panels. Uh, we didn't... There was another panel we wanted to go to. So... Oh, well, Batman was tight, we, man. We, there was so many people in that panel. We went to a panel Saturday night that was like how not to suck as a Oh Duncan yeah 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 we went something. to we went to the D&D uh, tabletop game yeah. panel which but it was specifically to it was about storytelling yeah for being a storyteller in an RPG yeah. setting and it was funny so I actually have a story about that uh, next because you skipped you you were done after Saturday Yes, I wasn't. So able to you come get to Sunday. so you get to hear about my adventure. Yeah, on I'm Sunday. excited to hear. Um, it. So uh, Saturday we went. The other panel we went to was um, the uh, how to not suck at tabletop gaming. Yeah, <laughs> tabletop storytelling, which is basically a Dungeons and Dragons panel. We were both curious, so we went, and um, we got there early, like really early, and for we sat there watching a girl getting like professional cosplay photos taken like right next yeah. to us um which i thought was really interesting because you and i talked about the state of cosplay has kind of like evolved mm-hmm. uh where there's professional photography taken which incidentally i found out that it's not necessarily the case which i'm going to come back to interesting so uh, because that was i've been to a lot of conventions like i think you took me to my first one when i was a sophomore or junior in high school and the biggest change like from this convention specifically that I noticed was everybody was having professional level like photo shoots done of their cosplay. And I'm not talking about like, yeah, they've got a separate photographer with a nice camera. They had that, but they also had like those big like flash umbrellas they can bring. They had other people carrying like huge reflectors and they were getting like these really nice photos. And that was a very big difference. The other difference I noticed with this con was, uh, there's more people just uh, recording uh, themselves for YouTube. Like, while there's this girl being uh, professionally cosplay photographed next to us, on the other side of us, there was a guy who was uh, filming for, like, his Star Trek YouTube channel or something, and he was, you know, spouting off these goofy monologues into his phone, and we were kind of chuckling at him. So it's just a... I really enjoy it because I'm seeing more people at these cons being creative and putting content out in the world, which... Honestly, like I really like right, thrive right, on. So right. So, so we um. So getting so real quick, the girl getting her cosplay the pictures taken. Her name's uh, Hannah Bilecki. Hannah Bilecki. <laughs> uh, I introduced myself to her. We talked real briefly. Um, I checked out her Instagram page. She's got some cool. Uh, uh, she got some really cool cosplay stuff up there. So if you check it out, cool. Um, and if Hannah, if you're listening, I gave you a quick shout out. Um. With that being said, um, I'm going to come back to the professional cosplay thing in a bit. Sounds good. Because there was something I learned on Sunday. Interesting. So we go to the Dungeons & Dragons panel, and we it looked like there was, like, what, maybe 20 people waiting for this panel. And then, well, it's, then we got in line. Like, we're like, oh, people are starting to line up. We should probably move to the doors. And as we got up, there was, like, 200 people yes. waiting for the line. And they had and there was not enough room for everyone at that panel. Um, which really made me laugh because they filed us all in and then there was all these people having to stand and sit in the back. And Yeah, was... and we, I mean, we talked to a couple people in line who had the same impression, like, this is going to be a small panel that only, like, 20 people are going to show up to. And the line was huge and the thing was packed and people were standing, right. as you said. And it was just, like, <laughs> it goes to show how popular 
Dungeons and Dragons has really become. Like, it's awesome that, like, so many people are that into this game that that right. panel, like, sold out, so to speak, you know? Right. Well, um, well, that kind of brings Saturday to a close. Um, you did not go with me on Sunday, so I'm going to tell you my Sunday adventure. Awesome. And then uh, we'll bring this to a close. So Sunday, um, I got there early enough to, like, I got there early enough. I was, like, one of the first probably 50 people into the door. Um, I went there early for a reason. Uh, it had to do with podcasting um, advertisement, so I got there early to try and get some flyers out to stuff, which worked out really well. But um, then I was like, well, I'm here. What do I do next? And I looked at my watch, and I had some plenty of time before the panel I was going to go to. So I went to... Um, a comic booth that I've been walking past all weekend, and I found the entire run of Peter Tomasi's Batman and Robin uh, oh, cool. from the New 52. The entire run, like every volume, it was all there. Uh, got it for very cheap. Ran it back to the car because I didn't want to walk around with that many comic books weighing my backpack down <laughs> all day. And then I came back in, and then I just went straight to. I brought, actually I brought the first volume of the book I bought so I could sit and read it while I waited in line. And then I went to. Um, uh, the Animaniacs panel. I went right there to wait in line, so I had a book with me to read, sat there waiting to see the Animaniacs. So when I say the Animaniacs, I'm talking about the Animaniacs television show. The voice actors were there. It was going to be live. Um, I do not have audio because uh, the batteries on the mic were almost dead by the time I got there, so I basically didn't get any audio. Um, so all of Sunday, I have no audio for you guys. I have two panels to recap, but I have no audio. Um, so... Uh, the Animaniacs panel was amazing. Uh, we had Yakko, Wacko, Dot, and the Brain, uh, from Pinky and the Brain was there. And yes, they went in and out of voices, and they, um, and at the end, uh, Yakko sang, um, the Countries of the World song for everybody. Really? Like, it was awesome. What? Okay. It was really, really cool. Um, it was probably one of the most exciting panels I went to. It was just full of energy. I can't and, believe he still remembers that song. Yeah, he, some, <laughs> some, during the question period, someone asked if like, he's like, my dad, you're one of my dad's favorite cartoons, you know, would you be willing to sing it for my dad? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and you know the dad's goaded his kid into doing so. Yeah. Um, but then he, um, the, Rob Paulson, who voices Yakko, he's like, yes, we'll do it at the end. We'll close that out at the end. And so... <laughs> That's it was great. really cool, but they talked about, but they talked about like uh, uh, Maurice Lamarche, who plays the brain. The, he he talked about how he came up with the voice of the brain, and you know they talked about how they came up with the voices for certain things and like different projects they worked on, and you got I, to hear different voices in general because like Rob Paulson did in the nine in the nineties he voiced Raphael in the Ninja Turtles cartoon. Now he's voicing Donatello in the current Ninja Turtles cartoon. <laughs> <Crazy>. <laughs> you know, um, so. So you've said a lot of stuff. My brain's going. I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. No, 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 because was... you said it, and like, so my last thought I had in my head was like, yeah, a lot of people are complaining about the newest Ninja Turtles, but I actually think it looks really cool. But uh, no, but going back to the brain, I think I've heard that story before. Isn't it something like he saw a picture of the brain, and his first thought was Orson Welles? Yes. So he based the voice yeah. off Orson Welles, but. The writers actually had a different character person in mind that yeah. it was supposed to sound like. Yeah. Do you remember who it was? It or? was the guy who drew the, like, they drew the brain based off of one of the guys who actually worked in the studio. Okay. Like, yeah. and they wanted it to sound like him. <laughs> they wanted it to basically yeah. somebody do an impression of him as the brain. <laughs> yeah. But 
Maurice Lamarche basically was like, no, I have to do Orson Welles. Yeah, and it worked. It worked so well. And it was basically the wait, stop all casting. He's the guy. (laughs) Well, uh, have you seen the movie Ed Wood? Uh, Yes, I I own Ed Wood. Ed Wood's awesome. Ed Wood is awesome, but in the movie, like the movie's about the director Ed Wood, who's known for doing horrible movies. Like he directed Plan Nine from Outer Space, but in the movie, there's a part where he actually meets Orson Welles, who's Edward's hero essentially and when they have Orson Welles in the movie and he starts talking I watched it and I was like oh that's weird why does he sound like the brain because <laughs> like, I had no idea sort of thing but it's it all comes yeah. together you know the digger you deep the deeper you dig there yeah. you go <laughs> anyway Animaniacs was great um as soon as the panel was over I looked at my watch and realized I need to get I have like about an hour and 15 minutes before the George Perez Marv Wolfman panel. Oh, nice, yeah. And I thought to myself, because of how big the Batman 80th panel was, I have to go to this panel. Now, if you don't know, uh, George Perez and Marv Wolfman are the creative team behind the Teen Titans. They created the Teen Titans. They wrote and illustrated Crisis on Infinite Earths for DC. They worked on Spider-Man. They worked... um, They worked on a lot of uh, Marvel projects, but those are the Teen Titans and um, Crisis are the two big ones that come to their fame. But they were around with Stan Lee. They worked with Stan Lee. There was, you know what I mean? Like this was a huge, huge panel. Um, George Perez is actually on the brink of going blind. So like he's, this is like, he, this was basically his last con appearance. Like this was kind of a sad thing because he's not, he's not gone, but He's yeah. kind of going away. So I realize, I'm like, this is a panel I got to get to quickly. I have to be in line for. So I walked up to the panel, and they're moving people in for the Funmation panel. And I kind of pulled, I kind of grabbed one of the staff people. I'm like, is this, where can I line up for George Perez? And she's like, well, you're the first one here. So we'll just make you the start of the line. So I was first in line, which was awesome. Um, and then I told her, I go, you guys are doing a great job. And she's like, I know. Were you at the D&D panel yesterday? Because we clearly underestimated the amount of people. I'm yeah. like, actually, I was. It was really kind of funny. Um, but no, I told her she was doing a great job. And then I sat and met some people in line for George Perez. Um, so George Perez and Marv Wolfman had their panel. They talked a lot about the creation of the Teen Titans. They talked a lot about, um, and they turned it over to audience questions real fast because they knew that. You know, it was basically a conversation for us to get to talk to them. Um, they talked a lot about Crisis. They talked a lot about some of the other stuff and getting to work with Stan and that kind of thing. What I thought was interesting was um, in terms of uh, the story they told. So if you've ever read Teen Titans, The Judas Contract, or if you've seen the animated yeah. film, uh, The Judas Contract. that They DC did it released. in the TV show, too. The, yeah, yeah, they did. Well, if, <coughs> if you know that story, uh, someone asked about the the concept of creating the story of the Judas Contract, and they told this whole big story about writing it at, like, a McDonald's. <laughs> and That's great. the conversation... I think it was a McDonald's. It was either a McDonald's or, like, some diner that they lived by. Yeah. How they basically plotted this whole thing out, and it's basically a story about killing a 15-year-old girl. Yeah. And nobody in earshot heard them talking and called the police. they're like we just and even and i think it was marv wolfman who's like i'm really surprised that no one like called the cops on us because we were talking about plotting the death of a 15 year old girl (laughs) little did they know it was a comic book character um and that's probably one of the biggest like it's a very emotionally powerful uh comic arc 
Um, but then when they talked about crisis, one of the things I thought was interesting about it was, and I didn't ask the question in the panel, but I was curious because there was a lot of death in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Many, many characters dying because it was referred to as a as a cleanup of yep. the DC continuity. And famously, Supergirl and Flash died during that event. So I was wondering if they were instructed to kill certain characters and or if they were instructed to stay away from certain characters. Like, don't kill Batman. Don't kill Superman. Don't kill this person. Um I didn't ask the question. Nobody else did. But someone asked a question similar, and they said that they were instructed by the company to kill Flash. Hmm. I don't know why, but yeah. they said when they were they were putting the story structure together, they were instructed that Barry Allen Flash had to die. Wow. So I thought that was really interesting because then we got, what, 30 years of Wally West Flash until mm-hmm. Barry Allen came back. I mean, he was written out of continuity for a long, long time. So, um... I just thought that was a really cool... It was a yeah. fantastic panel. F- that's, fantastic discussion. Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting. I wish I could have gone to that panel because... Uh, well, like, one thing I wanted to comment on is uh, on the con floor at C2E2, they had a couple... There's a couple areas with small uh, kind of panel spaces where they'd have a bunch of chairs on a stage. I think they had one in uh, the area of the convention oh, called yeah, Cosplay the, Central. Yeah. And then they had the main one. They had that the live had, stage. And they had bigger names on there that they interviewed. Like, I know they had a mini, like, Freaks and Geeks reunion up there and some other people. But uh, Marv Wolfman was up there for, like, a five-minute inter- interview that we caught on uh, Saturday. And one of the questions for him was about which version of the Teen Titans is his favorite. And the way you, he talked about it, you could tell he like had genuine appreciation for every single version he's seen yeah. outside of the comics. Like he loves Teen Teen Titans Go. He loves the original Teen Titans cartoon series, and he actually really appreciated the new DC universe. It also version. listening to those guys talk about it really also reignited my appreciation for Teen Titans as a team. I, yeah. You know, I never felt like they were like the ragamuffins of the DC universe, but I always felt that they were kind of treated that way, even though they're this really kick-ass team. And then you get, but when they talked about like the creation of, you know, Wonder Girl versus Donna Troy, and they talked about, you know, pu- putting certain teams together, and they talked about Starfire, and they talked about all these characters, I'm like, man, I maybe I wasn't paying attention to the Teen Titans the way I should have been paying attention yeah. to the Teen Titans. So, um, another thing I wanted to comment on is just like George Perez, like it's so sad that he's going blind, um, because he was like such a legendary artist. Like if you look at, um, like I think especially of like, I've, I don't have like a ton of his comics, like single issues, but I have a couple of the old, uh, when they were doing the new, new teen Titans back in the day, George Perez and Marv Wolfman. And some of those issues are like insane when you actually look at the level of uh detail in them like i i remember there's this one that i have where i think the team is in uh azeroth and it's just like the most detailed like there's a page that's like a double page spread that's just like an overview shot of like this canyon and like you know this hellish dimension they're in and it's just so it's drawn with so much detail and i think uh i'm always like artistically i'm always drawn to more cartoony guys i guess so i i think when i first saw george perez's artwork i didn't get the appeal and i think like seeing stuff like that i'm like oh no this guy is freaking amazing like this is awesome and he's like well known for doing these like posters of for like dc and marvel where he's literally got like 
200 to 300 characters like drawn into this one poster and uh he's going blind but it's just awesome that he's left this amazing legacy and uh like he obviously loves drawing he loves the craft of it and he's just left behind so many great things that we still can look at so yeah. i'm really appreciative of that and you know i wish i could have made that panel so yeah um well after the uh george perez and marv wolfman panel i was sitting very close to the front so mm -hmm. when it was all over and they walked off stage i was actually able to walk up shake their hands and say thanks yeah um i didn't stay i didn't talk to him much more than that it was really just thank you for what you did and i kind of left it at that um so then i won't go back to the show floor and i'm working my way back towards artist alley and I run into Ming Chen from Comic Book. Yeah, okay, I was I was uh, gonna ask you about this if you didn't bring it up, so I, I really want to hear about. No, this, so. so I ran. So Ming Chen is just on the floor, and he was talking to someone, and I stopped, and I wanted to give him one of our like flyers for the podcast to say, "Give us a listen." Um, if you've never watched Comic Book Man, um, Ming Chen is from that show on AMC. Um, he's part of Kevin Smith's, uh, I guess Kevin Smith's crew. Yeah. <laughs> um, he uh, he's a huge podcaster in his own right, and because of the fame of Comic Book Man and his podcast has kind of exploded and stuff, he's very into the medium of this, and he's very into his fans, and he's very he's very he was he was really gracious with you know people wanting to talk to him and you know pick his brain, and he's all into podcasts and stuff. So um, I it was real. I just saw him and I kind of stopped and waited, and he saw that I was waiting for him. Yeah. So while I was waiting for him, I pulled out like one of our you know business cards, I guess. Um, and uh, I shook his hand, and we talked for a minute. I told him about our show. I handed him our flyer. Um, uh, he asked how many episodes we were up to. It was just a really cool, like, you know, it was. he was gracious with his time. He never made it seem mm -hmm. like he was in a hurry to get anywhere. It was really great. So, Ming, if you're listening, thank you. Um, yeah. I appreciate the time. I, um, uh, I met him once at a, uh, I think it was Walker Stalker Con. It might have been the first Walker <laughs> Stalker Con that came to Chicago. And he had a booth, and he didn't have a long line, so I met him really quick. And I bought, like, a uh, $20 print or whatever from him that he signed. And he was just super cool. Like, he was, like, you can definitely, when you talk to him, you feel like he's generally, like, or genuinely happy to be speaking with you. And that's what I got. So it was, like, really awesome meeting him. So right. that's great. Well, right after I see Ming Chen, yeah. I'm now in Artist Alley, and... So this this comes back to the professional cosplayer thing that I was talking about because this is actually bringing me to the end of my little adventure at Comic Con without you. Yeah. And walking the floor by myself, I'm gonna be honest. No offense, man, but I had so much fun just wandering the con alone. Yeah. <laughs> it was really really cool. I'm always very like thinking about the people I'm with when I'm at the con, and I'm always like, oh, what do you want to look at? And we're looking at it, so I'm not actually looking at the things I want, or I'm not taking the time I wanted to look at things and. You know, so if I stopped to look at something, it was on my own time. And I'm like, this is really kind of cool. I can do what I want. I can, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, with that being said, I'm now in Artist Alley. And um, a while back, I was scrolling through the Instagram and I found a, uh, there was a cosplayer that caught my attention. It was like on the suggested Instagram things that pop up, mm -hmm. the suggested people you should follow. And this uh, person on Instagram, um, Amanda Lynn, or on Instagram, she's real Amanda Lynn. Mm -hmm. um, she just had this really amazing Batgirl cosplay. So I clicked on her page. She had some other cool stuff. So I just started following her. This was a while ago. So uh, I reached out to her, actually, before the con to see if she was going to be... Because she said she was going to be at C2E2, and I reached out to her to see if she would want to maybe chat for the podcast. 
Um, unfortunately, I had no batteries left in the mic, right. so I couldn't have done that. But as I'm in Artist Alley, she's kind of walking in my direction. And I'm like, oh my god, this is awesome. So I stopped her. We chatted for a little bit. She was in this really cool uh, Phoenix costume, um, as in Phoenix from X-Men costume. Um, yeah. And uh, she stopped. She was really gracious with her time. She gave me a few minutes. If you look at my Instagram, um, which is Drew3927, there's a picture of her and I um, that I posted real quick just to say thanks to her. Um, but she was really gracious with her time. But I asked her about the state of cosplay, about how the, the evolution of cons is kind of like turned. Yeah. And I brought up the professional photography thing. And she said, nine times out of ten, they're not professionals. Yeah. And then she says, and usually if I take any photos like that, I never get to see the photos. And I thought that was, I just thought that was interesting. Um, so she's saying there's, so she, there's cosplayers there, and then there's photographers, and they're coming separately? I don't know. Okay. We didn't get a lot, we, I didn't have enough time to talk <laughs> yeah. to her about that, but I just thought that was interesting. She did say she'd, uh, maybe we could try and do like a remote like interview with her at some point like oh, that and we fun. can talk more in depthly. Yeah. But um I just thought that was really kinda interesting, like just to talk real briefly and then um we parted ways. She had to go pick up a art commission yeah. that she was having done and stuff like that. So um okay. but it was just a kind of a cool little moment and I went from panel to panel to Ming Chen to her, like you know what I mean? So I uh yeah So again, I mean, Amanda Lynn, if you're listening, <laughs> I appreciate the time you spent chatting with us so um with the professional cosplayer thing like in my mind it was always um it was always people trying to become professionals not necessarily like everyone doing it is getting right. paid for what they're doing but right. still it is a big difference that i've seen <laughs> so yeah. nice well that brings me to the end of um that brings me to the end of uh, my adventure on Sunday, basically, because yeah. I didn't stay much longer after that. I did a little more wandering around and, see and if there was any last-minute purchase I wanted to make because at that point, people were starting to pack up booths and stuff yeah. like that. So And then you um, drove home and got depressed because no, that's what I did Saturday. No, I drove, I drove <laughs> the home. The depression starts setting. <laughs> no, I drove home, and I was all, like, wired and jacked up. And yeah. Like, you know, just excited and, you know, just in a really good mood, and then I got home, and, and I was like, well, I'm not in the con anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um so with that being said, um, this could be real fast. We might not have a lot to say. We might have already said it. Um, so I just figured for a top five, we're going to do our top five 2018 movies when you are officially back after you've had a chance to evaluate yeah, your top five. which should be a week or two. Like, it should be soon. So Okay. With that being said, why don't we just real quick talk our top five favorite moments from the con. Yeah. So since we're doing a top five, Ryan, roll the thing. for the top five. Um, okay, so I have honorable mentions. Do you have any or? No. Okay, so I this con, um, I didn't buy very much merchandise, but I did buy two things, so mm -hmm. I wanted to throw that up there. So uh, the first one I want to mention is I bought a very cheap uh, Evil Ernie graphic novel <laughs> at a uh, half-priced graphic novel booth. So I'm probably one of the few people who cares about the old 90s uh, chaos comics, but I love that stuff. I think Brian Polito is a really good writer. I think uh, Stephen Hughes is a great artist, so I was pretty jazzed up to get that book. So, right And then uh, moving on to my next honorable mention, uh, when we did talk to Ed McGinnis, I bought a print from him, um, so that's my next one, and that was a print of uh, Nightcrawler uh, holding a sword looking pretty badass, and he had a bunch of little uh, 
nightcrawler baby creatures around him. That was so. a re- that's a really really cool piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, and uh, that's my honorable mentions, which would move right into my list. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so your um, first actual pick. One thing we didn't talk about. Uh, the rest of my list is actually moments from the con. So one thing we didn't talk about is uh, entering the con on Friday. Okay. So. When we got to the convention, uh, we parked in... So there's... C2E2 takes place at McCormick Place, (laughs) and there's a main parking lot, but there's also... Nearby, there is Soldier Field, which is the home stadium of the Chicago Bears, and there's a (laughs) parking lot over there that... I might regret saying this because I don't know how many people are going to hear this, but best kept secret, just park at Soldier Field. It's a lot easier to get into C2E2 than going through the... And now the parking lot's full because you just told everybody. (laughs) That's why I said I might regret it. Anyway, so we park at Soldier Field and we try to get into the convention. And there's a... You park and there's a set of doors that's very close to the parking lot that we've... Every year we go in and we have no problem. But this year we went up to those doors <laughs> and they were locked. So we're like, oh crap, how do we get in? And uh, we started walking back to the car to figure out what to do. And uh, while walking back to the car, there was another group of, uh, you know, they're like your typical like comic book nerd looking guys. And they were also walking the same way. And we're like, dude, those doors are locked back there. So then we're all like, oh crap. And then we walked down this weird sidewalk and we didn't really know where we were going. We just knew we were headed in the direction of the convention center, but there's also like Lakeshore Drive right next to us, and we didn't know if we were gonna have to be like running across Lakeshore Drive, like dodging traffic to actually get into the convention center. Anyways, we found another doorway, but that one was locked. But luckily, through the window, we could see people walking by, and we were able to beckon them over to open the door for us. I just thought that was a hilarious moment, so that had to make my yeah, list. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I there's no way to top that. Story. <laughs> um, all right. So my first uh, my first one that I'm going to mention is the Kyle Higgins interview. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Um, I assume we match on this, um, right? I yeah. actually didn't put that on my list. Oh, okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that um, was a really awesome moment, though. Yeah, no, um, it was just he. That I don't. There's not a lot to say that I haven't already. It's just the big reason that that kind of made my list is because he's someone I always wanted to meet. But at the same time, he was just gracious with his time. He wasn't all. It wasn't like no, come back or no, I don't want to yeah. be recorded. It was very like yeah, absolutely, let's do it right now. And you know? that's what uh, actually when you said like hi, my name's Drew. I'm with the Top Five Report podcast. He said oh sweet like that was his reaction. He was genuinely excited to talk to us. That should have made my list. To be honest the only reason it didn't is because I crafted my list with things that I thought we didn't, we wouldn't have already mentioned in the episode. Oh. So that's oh. really the only yeah, reason. Yeah, no, I so. was just thinking, like, what what were my big things from the Oh, yeah, so. certainly. Um, so moving on to my next pick, I already talked about this, but Neil Adams saying that I looked like Green Arrow was an awesome moment for me. So that's my next pick. Um, hang on a second. Yeah, that, that was funny. And, like, the fact that you kept getting, um, uh, everyone kept saying... Uh, Nice mustache. Nice mustache. Was well, really funny. So. The Neil Adams thing was funny because he was talking to you during the interview, and you were uh, like crouched down at his level because he was in a chair, and I was kind of standing beside you. And it wasn't until like a couple minutes in that he looked up and he looked at me, and he gave me this look like, 
he gave me like the look of like familiar familiarity like i know i know this person why do i know him and then he just like smiled and he's like you look like green arrow and then i kept talking so like that is awesome so uh yeah um so yeah with that said um the i'm gonna go with man that's tough all right so i'm gonna do a purchase of mine and that's finding the batman robin um the peter tomasi's batman around yeah. around the entire because it let's put it this way that was like 130 dollars in books that i got for 40 like that was a lot of books that i got for way cheaper and i remember walking up to the girl and handing her the stack and i go um i think i did my math right if i didn't i'm not getting all these <laughs> <laughs> nice so um, yeah yeah that's yeah anyway um, okay, so moving on to my next one. Um, I talked about meeting Ed McGinnis and uh, buying a print from him. But uh, while buying a print, he actually didn't. He denied our request to interview him, but we did get to talk to him a couple yeah. minutes. And uh, he actually said that I have a radio voice. <laughs> I don't want to sound like a super big narcissist, but that was cool <laughs> to get like a compliment from my right. hero for that. Um I know the listeners might be thinking, like, no, he's got a horrible radio voice. <laughs> Just kidding. But, uh, no, that was really cool. And uh, I actually wanted to talk about a couple more things that I got to ask him about. Um, the big one is uh, if you go back to our top five favorite giant robots episode, I actually yeah, talked, to cool. him, I talked to him a little bit about the uh, Batman-Superman mm-hmm. composite uh, mech that was in the Batman superman public enemies comic story arc we talk about it on that episode and uh what's funny is he was actually drawing a sketch of that robot while i was talking to him and uh his response about it was like oh that's awesome that you guys talked about that i love that he's like i was so happy when they made when they wrote that into the story because he basically said he was so happy about it because he's such a big anime fan which if you know his art you can tell he's got a anime manga influence to it but it was just really cool to like i appreciated hearing like kind of a bit of his influence of like where that mech came from you know so right um so uh i'm gonna go into uh my next pick is the animaniacs panel um i know you weren't there i'm sorry you weren't there um but that was um i have always wanted to meet rob paulson and those guys and to like just being like I love watching actors and stuff get to do their thing and it was really great to see them first see them live but hear their voices in person and hear them go from voice to voice to voice and you know I never I never put two and two together that the voice of dot is the same as the ants from the simpsons <laughs> and you know what I mean yeah. so it's you kind of go, oh, wow, that's interesting. You know, so just to get to see them being who they are was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And I feel like uh, voice actors, like, it's such a... I feel like it's an overlooked craft by a lot of people. But when you see a voice actor actually performing, like, in person, it's such an incredible... It, like, it's, it's such an it's impressive feat. It's so impressive. Mm-hmm. And, and I the, just... It was such a great panel to go to. So that was my next pick. So. <laughs> awesome. Um... So my next pick is actually the uh, podcast meetup that we talked about. Um, It was just really cool getting to meet a bunch of other podcasters, mostly from this area, who are really trying to do the same thing that uh, we're doing. And, you know, 
in my daily life and going to my day job and stuff, I don't always get that sort of creative connection. And I just like got like a really good vibe from that panel and it, I felt like it was really inspiring. So I definitely wanted to pick that one. So, um, uh, my next pick is, uh, the Neil Adams interview. Great. Um, not only, not only because we got to talk to a legend and actually get to sit down, we got to meet him, we got to talk to him, but I was expecting five minutes. He gave us 20. Like, he gave us a lot of time, and he didn't need to do that. And But it was very clear that he's like, these are guys who want to talk to me. They want to interview me. They want to, like, they're actually here to, they're here because they're fans. And he was clearly willing to give us that moment. Yeah. Not just as fans, but as podcasters. And know that we want to, we're trying to get word out to other yeah. fans and stuff. So that was such a special moment. You know, so. a, a great takeaway from that one, too, was, like, Neil Adams is such a big name in the comics industry, and we could have said, like, well, he probably won't do it. Like, we're, you know, small fries. Like, he's never going to agree to do an interview And with I'll us. be honest, but, I thought, I was like, he's not going to do yeah, this interview. Yeah, but the thing is, we did ask, and it she goes to show, like, we the worst people can say is no, but as long as you actually ask and try, like, you might end up getting like something really good as a result so yeah. I mean like I said I was expecting five minutes the, the fact that he gave me 20 was great and it was funny because when I when we left I went back up to the girl who helped set it up and she and I thanked her for giving us the time and she's like he likes to talk you would probably would have gotten an hour if you really wanted it. yeah <laughs> so um that made me laugh but yeah so the Neil Adams interview that was a really that that's gonna always hold a special place in my heart so awesome anyway um so my next one could be viewed as a great pick or a cos a cop out. If you don't like it, I'll just default to Kyle Higgins. No, but, it doesn't matter. Um, I put the atmosphere slash general vibe slash creative energy of the convention. Um, I really like. I, <laughs> you could put like like the atmosphere. So I just atmosphere. I just gave Peter a look because I keep track of all these on a spreadsheet. If you've never listened to the show before, yeah. So here I am. Like, how do I write that on the spreadsheet? <laughs> I, put, I will think of something. Okay, you could put just convention atmosphere. I think um, I've talked in previous episodes about when I went to first see. This is going to be a tangent, but it's coming back. When I first went to see uh, Force Awakens, I remember seeing the crawl come on the screen and. Uh, getting a feeling of this sort of like, this is something that was missing from my life. Like seeing a new Star Wars movie is something that I've been missing, but I didn't realize I was. And I actually kind of like got emotional to myself in the theater. Uh, I kind of felt the same way C2E, at C2E2 this year. Like I haven't been to a con in a long time and I really just felt like, yeah, this is uh, something that I've been needing in my life. But not only that, I was there as a creative person. I was there promoting our podcast as opposed to being a fan and that gave me like a lot of inspiration too and it kind of brought me back to uh you know wanting to do more creative things wanting to uh work on the podcast more as well as just working on my art when i'm not doing stuff on this show and i think that uh that's just like an awesome takeaway you can get from a convention like you can really be inspired. So I don't know if you have any comments on that or not, if you felt more well, inspired in any no, ways. But not, I'm going to piggyback off on that because that's going to yeah. move into my last pick because my last pick was simply just being pressed for the con. Yeah. Um, I mean, so here's, we, here's we the thing. Even, oh. Well, here's, here's, let me, yeah. let me jump, piggyback on what you said <laughs> and add to what I'm saying. So the reason I say that is because we're a growing podcast. 
And when we went to the podcasters meetup, I'm walking in going, we've done 35 episodes. I feel like the baby in the room. And then we meet a group of guys who have done five episodes. So I was like, oh, we're not the baby anymore, but we still feel young. And for C2E2 to give us the opportunity to go as press, I thank you as an organization. And I hope that we can do this again next year. I hope that you'll allow us to come back as press because we had a great time and we want to keep doing this stuff. So um, that was really cool. But in terms of being inspired, listening to Kyle Higgins talk, listening to Neil Adams talk, you didn't get to go to the panel, but listening to Marv Wolfman and George Perez talk, it was phenomenal. And it made me want to go home and sit in front of the computer and write. Like that's yeah. what it made me want to do. Even going to the Dungeons and Dragons panel, even if you're writing something for a game or you're doing whatever, like I wanted to go and do that. Like it was just, I just, that's all I wanted to do. So I got home in this really, really good mood and that's all I wanted to do. Awesome. So, I mean, that's not what I got to do when I got home, but that's where I was at. And I was already jazzed up from other stuff going on in my life anyway. And I'm all fired up to do this stuff. So yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know. If I can really say much, <laughs> I can top that. But I think that's it's awesome that we were kind of left with the same uh, impression of the con and feeling really inspired. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I can leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. In, I in mean, the words of, I mean, I can uh, paraphrase the words of Ed McGinnis and say I don't want to go on sounding like a big idiot because <laughs> we've left this in a good spot, essentially. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So I think uh, for right now, we'll call it quits for the night um so that's another episode in the can peter may or may not be back next week if he is we'll be doing our top 10 top 10 top five movies from 2018 if he's not i'm going to be doing something different um with that being said um we're going to see you next week but let me just give you the closing stuff please check out our website top5report.com there you'll find all our links to our social media twitter and facebook um you can also get us fr- not only from the website itself, but you can subscribe to us on iTunes. And please leave us five-star reviews because we love them. But if you don't, we understand criticism. But leaving us a review makes the words we sound we say make makes them seem important. I'm stumbling over my <laughs> ending. I don't ever do that. Um, or I haven't done it in a while. Uh, with that being said, uh, I'm Drew. You can follow me on Twitter at Drew3927. Uh, it's the same on Instagram. Uh, Peter, what about you? Uh, catch me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre and uh, doing stuff on the Facebook page for Top Five Report here and there. Yep. So. And uh, for that, um, we will uh, for the Top Five Report. I'm Drew, Peter, and we'll see you next week. Yeah.